Hello again, and thank you for joining us today for the next instalment in our IPO podcast series. I'm Adam Bidwell, Head of Small and Mid-Cap Equity Sales at Investec. Our last few podcasts have focused on IPOs from the perspective of, of a fund manager. So this time around, we thought it'd be really interesting to hear about the broader communication aspects of an IPO, be that the various communications to the market, the media and employees. So to help us cover these important areas from pre, during and post IPO perspective, we're delighted to welcome Sarah West, a partner of Financial and Corporate Communications Advisor Brunswick. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks very much for having me, Adam. Pleasure, and uh, thanks for joining us. I guess to help us frame the discussion, we thought it'd be worth looking at three key stages of an IPO um, and looking at pre-IPO or the preparation stage, the actual IPO phase itself, and then life after the IPO. So I think starting with the preparation stage, and, and this is a fairly broad question, but what would you advise companies to do from a communications perspective ahead of a listing and in preparation? I think what's really uh, important is that when companies begin to think about going on this journey, they start to put in place some of the communications aspects well in advance. One of the things that you'll know about an IPO is that once you commence the official part of the process, you uh, fall under publicity guidelines. In other words, there are legal restrictions on what you can say. And so once you've got a a team of advisors together, including lawyers, you'll find that very quickly you're restricted on what you can say. And so if you have the time and you know that you're considering an IPO to plan, you know, six months in advance, even a year in advance, it gives you the opportunity to get uh, really organised with the sorts of things that will be really helpful to you when you do start the IPO process. So if I were doing this myself, if I was starting this journey myself, I would say take a year if you can. And in that year, really focus on getting your story right. First of all, once you start an IPO process, you'll find you're incredibly busy or in multiple meetings. You've got people who need your time. The management team needs uh, to give an awful lot of their time to the um, process of going through an IPO. And so if you've had the chance in the sort of six to 12 months before kicking off the process to really develop your corporate narrative, and by that I mean the description of your business and the role that it fulfills and the problems it solves and the market opportunity that it addresses and why it's uh, a great business. If you've really thought that through, ahead of coming to the process itself. It just sets you up really well for when you start. And it can also include in that, you would include, for example, what your core values are, what your core behaviours are, because that then allows you to refer back to that narrative, that story of your business, your story of your values and and behaviours later on in the process. And it becomes a very useful thing to refer back to. So when you're under publicity guidelines, you're not able to do a lot of PR. You're not able to put yourself in a situation where you appear to be marketing the shares. And so one of the ways that you can get around that or prepare ahead for that is to establish a baseline of profile and publicity before you start, because the way that the guidelines are interpreted are based on something which is 
normal course of business. So if you have already been you know, doing PR and you've already had perhaps your CEO has already had a profile or perhaps you've done some some other corporate media, then you've already established a good baseline, a good sense of what normal course of business is. Then when you start the process of the IPO, you're able to refer back to that when it comes to the publicity guidelines and say, look, we did always do this anyway. We did used to go to these tech events, for example. We did used to talk about our business in the media. And so it acts as quite a helpful way to to build that protection from the restrictions, if you like, in the publicity guidelines. But also it does mean that then when you come to the IPO, if you've already got a bit of a track record, if you've already done some PR and you've got some uh, examples of articles and, and some stuff that's already out there about you, then clearly when people start to hear about your business through the IPO process, there's something for them to find. There's information that instantly explains to them, you know, something about the business. So it's really worth considering. The key thing is to try to prepare well in advance. So prepare with your story and prepare building a baseline of publicity before you start that's really interesting. I mean, some of that might sound daunting to to a company that's considering IPO, but in the first instance, if they engage with a financial PR company um, like yourselves, would you give that advice on, you know, give clear guidelines on on what what they should and shouldn't be doing? Or, you know, is there some other way they find out this information? How do they conduct that process? The answer is it depends. Um, sometimes it's very clear because the company already has um, advisors involved or perhaps might have a board member involved who's been through this process before. And they they will then, in that case, be able to advise the company to um, you know, to get involved with, with financial corporate PR agency like us. Um, if you've got lawyers involved already, then they give you a set of publicity guidelines. So there is a, a sort of fairly standard approach to that, although um, it's fair to say also that there is a degree of interpretation around them and perhaps some legal teams might be fractionally more um, conservative than others. But the publicity guidelines themselves are legal documents that, that legal teams will give you. But ahead of an IPO, before you get even get into the process, then you'll find that a financial PR agency or as I said, other advisors will will start to say, look, you might want to think about building your profile ahead of this process. And that's typically where where we get involved. And then we're able to clearly set out a plan for what they can do before the IPO process begins. That's really interesting. And obviously, at this point, any sort of leaks in the press can be damaging, given you may, may or may not have told your employees how do you control that or approach that? Is Are there things you can do? I'm just interested in your perspective on that. It's really important to consider how you want your employees to be involved. Um, one of the things about an IPO is that um, until it happens, it is entirely possible that it won't happen. There are so many points along the journey where an IPO can be pulled. And so the general view is that it's not a great idea to overexcite anybody about the possibility of an IPO because clearly, you know, things change, macro environment changes, other circumstances happen that may mean your IPO doesn't happen. And so you don't want to 
get your employees too excited about something that, that might not happen. Equally, there is a sort of set of guidelines that applies to how you communicate with employees because they're part of that, the community that, you know, have to be sort of carefully managed. But what I have seen is that some companies have such a clear and open policy of communications with their employees that they are perfectly happy to keep them quite informed of what's going on and and also therefore to trust them that they're not going to leak the fact that they might be IPOing. Typically, it's a small group of the management team who are aware. But as I say, some companies have have as a sort of core part of their values that they are very transparent and open with their employees, and therefore they don't want to hide the fact that they are considering an IPO. In the past, we've quite often seen leaks of IPOs in the weekend press, and we've just discussed some of the sensitivities around what one can and can't say. But sometimes it's inevitable that these things do end up in in the press. To what extent are you able to control that, limit that, perhaps influence the press if they do have a leak on on how it's worded? Just elaborate on your role around that. The first thing is that um, we would always, you know, the minute you start working with a company you prepare for a leak. Sometimes we're brought in, as many agencies are, sometimes we're brought in after the leak's already happened, and sometimes we're brought in with enough time in advance to prepare. Essentially, the community of people who are talking to companies all the time is is really huge. You know, there are so many people uh, out there who are potential sources of leaks. So it's probably fairly realistic to assume that at some point a company's IPO may leak before their intention to float announcement, which is the first trigger of the news that they're going to list. So we always work on the assumption that it might well happen. In terms of how much influence or anything else you can apply on anyone, typically these these stories are extremely well sourced. You know, people, the journalists involved may have spoken to multiple people who have given them uh, an idea that this is going to happen. And so it's highly unlikely that if a journalist has a really good story with really good sources, um, it's highly unlikely that they would not carry that story. It's a question of what you might um, helpfully explain about the company so that the context is right, so that if the story is is published, that the context of the business itself or the market it operates in is accurate. But I'm afraid with IPOs, it is a little bit of a fact of life that it's a source of huge interest you know, as you've seen from all the, the recent recent coverage, IPOs themselves are a very interesting topic and there are just so many people talking to companies that it's it is entirely possible that 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 it will leak. Perhaps last question on pre-IPO, but if we get to a point where the IPO is public and a company is thinking we may as well positively or proactively address this, perhaps do some interviews, perhaps try and seek some positive press either ahead of or during the listing. Again, how would you help with that process and and what advice would you give around that? One thing I'd I'd just say about the question of the extent to which people are aware that a company might IPO. One thing that that you do see quite commonly is that in conversations with journalists or perhaps at key industry events, perhaps at media events, CEOs will say as part of our growth, a number of different routes are possible and an IPO is one of them. And that is quite a good sort of concept to have well established and out there because 
it's a perfectly reasonable thing to think that a company approaching a certain size might consider an IPO. Having that out there is just quite helpful because it's true. And as I say, the key thing about an IPO is that you can go very, very, very close to the point of IPO and then pull it for reasons that have nothing to do with your business, but that might be to do with, you know, the market or, or other macro considerations. And so it's true, also true that you're not doing an IPO until, until you actually do an IPO. And so having a, a sort of a general sense out there that it's something you might consider in due course, if the conditions are right, is a perfectly reasonable place to be. Sometimes companies like to generate press before an IPO. And that is, of course, a good place and a good opportunity to set out the story of the business. You know, you might consider doing that in a, in a weekend paper. I think the important thing about that is that in doing so, you are obviously in your interactions with that journalist flagging that something might be happening. If you're a private company that's been quite quiet, not previously done any publicity at all, and you suddenly appear ringing journalists and saying you'd like to do a profile, you know, you, you, you can't you, you can't be surprised if that if those journalists say, well, well, hang on a second, is that because you're planning an IPO? And one thing that you have to be very careful about, going back to this publicity guidelines point, is that you can't say that you're doing an IPO in that situation. So it's a bit of an awkward situation. You're in a bit of a, a an awkward spot when asked directly by a journalist if you are doing an IPO. Um, so it has to be managed very carefully. Things have changed a bit recently with this, where companies are generally trying to be much more open about their plans. As I said, goes back to if you can be open it's sort of a long time out that this is a possibility, if you can start to prepare a long time in advance, then it just means that you're less constrained by all of these questions that we're talking about now around what you can say and what you can't say nearer the time. Thanks, Sarah. So, so just moving on to the IPO phase itself, what will companies looking to list, what will they need to focus on from a communications perspective? We just perhaps talked about the pre-IPO process, but they now know they're going to go ahead with it. So we're in the IPO phase. Just talk to us a little bit about the communications process around the actual green light on listing. The first thing that the company will be doing is developing its presentation materials that it's going to be taking to potential investors and developing its equity story. And obviously, it's got a series of advisors that will be working with them on that. And what works quite well is if the communications advisors are also involved in the development of those materials, because it means that then the communications team can take some of the learning, some of the very good explanations of the context or of the market opportunity and help the company bring that into their own corporate story. Because the materials that the company is building with its advisors to talk to investors are to a very large extent invisible to media and invisible to employees. And so you need to take the sort of grains and the and the, and the sort of key information from those and put them into something that's much more exciting that might be quite visual companies do really great job when they for example take the time to do a corporate video where for example a ceo will talk through the story of the business and how how it grew to the point that it's achieved the growth it's achieved so far and how it plans to move forward um, its customers nicola rythartha did an, an excellent one at moonpig for example where he explained 
a business that a lot of people didn't fully appreciate at the time because they they didn't realize that this business had been building um, an extraordinary market lead. And that's because most businesses before listing haven't spent a lot of time explaining their corporate story. So use the time to create materials, you know, fact sheets, infographics, things that enable the company to very quick or enable audiences to very quickly get to the heart of why this is an exciting business. And I guess a lot of that material that the the company is sort of proactively presenting, I guess the the press and media will be drawing on that information as well. So to a degree, you're controlling the the flow of information that, you know, that people are likely to draw investment tip magazines, you know, newspaper articles, all of those things around the IPO. I think there are two key areas where mistakes can happen when companies are preparing for an IPO. One is about overhyping or overpromising or creating an expectation that you subsequently can't deliver. Whether that is creating a great deal of media coverage ahead of a potential IPO and then an IPO, if that same IPO is pulled, then clearly that's very difficult and negative for everybody involved. But in general, it's better to underpromise and overdeliver. So taking a quite thoughtful approach, building understanding of the business over the long term is generally speaking a better way to do it. The other area that we do see a lot, and it's completely understandable, but worth thinking about in advance, is the company itself knows its story really, really well. It's lived and breathed it for these years. It may well be a very entrepreneurial business. It may be a relatively young business coming to market. And the assumption that people can make is that the story is easily understandable. One of the things that we've seen in the last year is a huge number of businesses with business models that were not particularly well understood or that are new. And that means that there's a huge pressure on companies themselves to explain and to keep telling the story. And one of the areas that we can see really uh, as a sort of risk to businesses as if they make the assumption that they only have to tell the story once and everybody will understand it. We all know how busy everyone is. We know how many IPOs, what, 120 IPOs last year, the number of companies that potentially could have IPO'd and therefore the number of stories that the whole community, whether they're Uh, potential investors or whether they're journalists, the the number of stories that people had to listen to and think about and try to differentiate was enormous. That means that the onus is really on the company to almost say, let's work on the basis that this audience doesn't understand my sector, doesn't understand my business, and let me make a huge effort to really explain it and also to be willing to explain it on multiple occasions. And obviously, becoming a public company is is a whole new chapter in a in a, a company's life, and it is inevitably going to attract a whole new level of scrutiny and publicity. And I just wonder what your take on you know companies need to be prepared for that level of scrutiny around you know ESG disclosures, makeup of employees in terms of you know gender, ethnicity, remuneration, makeup of board, um, all of those things, and. I just wonder how what advice you can give to companies preparing for for that level of scrutiny, which can be very public um, for for companies. I've seen a real, a huge improvement actually in the uh, willingness 
of companies to think about this very proactively. And that's great. It means that they're doing what they should be doing, which is thinking a long time in advance. What is the makeup of our board? What are our policies? How do we fit into wider conversations, whether their particular uh, impact might be environmental or social? So I think they're really thinking ahead. I think they need to continue to do that. It goes back to a little bit to what I was saying at the beginning about the corporate story and, and the behaviours of the business and being really clear about that, because if you're really clear about who you are as a business and how you want to behave, then so much of the other conversations about preparing for ESG disclosure, preparing your board and so on, um, become really very much clearer. We're seeing a lot of companies going to a great deal of effort to create ESG reporting that is really clear and easy to understand. It does matter. It matters very much because people can sense whether your board and ESG and all of those things are a critical part of, of manifesting that. And then just moving on to, so after a company has successfully um, IPO'd, it's really, you know, it's the start of a journey rather than the end of it. So we get to a point where the company's IPO'd, it's gone well, they've got a, a, a long and strong list of, of shareholders on their register. So they begin life as a public company. What does that mean from a communications perspective? And, and how does your role change um, once that company is listed? The good news about the listing um, requirements is that it's, it's quite a clear cycle that you have to um, engage in. And so it's quite well defined in that sense, the proactive communications that you'll need to make. Um, it is important that companies, when they're going through the process of the IPO itself, have in mind they are going to have to do a set of results often quite quickly after their IPO. And so there's no, there's no let up in the preparation. You've got to quite quickly move from doing your listing to okay, now I've got to go and do my first set of results and the scrutiny will be back on us at this point. I think it's really important that you also consider that having set out your stall and having made a series of commitments, you've now got a group of people watching and waiting to see if you meet your commitments. And so you have to be very clear about setting out your progress in the context of the promises that you made at the time of the IPO. You've also got a much wider group of people that you have now got ongoing relationships with, people who expect to hear from you regularly, whether that's investors or analysts or media, there's just a, a really huge group of people. And you've got to consider that your employees, many of whom, perhaps all of whom will be shareholders, are also watching to see the progress of the business. I know some companies have very strong rules about staff watching share price, for example, and they'll say, you know, don't look at the share price on a, on a day-to-day basis. It's the wrong way to think about this business. Because of course, what the company wants to do once it's got its IPO out of the way is get on with the business of growing, of utilising the capital that they've raised, you know, doing all the strategic things that they wanted to do. And they don't want as a rule, they don't want people to become very focused on the daily moves of the share price. They want people to get back to their strategic jobs and implementing those. So once we get to companies trading and is a public company, when we get round to events, whether it's first set of results, trading updates, perhaps acquisitions, disposals, whatever it might be, 
just talk us through your role with the press and how companies should be communicating with the press in those situations, ensuring they get the right headlines, perhaps ensuring they commit appropriate levels of time to it, but perhaps not getting too bogged down with too many interviews. How does one think about that process as a, as a public company? So the calendar of your financial reporting is the framework. If you think about it, you have your moments when you will have to communicate. And typically, the key moments around trading updates or around half year or full year results are very carefully managed and they involve your brokers, they involve your legal team will still be involved, especially in that first year. Your PR team, your communications um, advisors will also be involved. And those key moments during your financial calendar, if you like set piece, so a group of people will gather with the company to consider what the company intends to say, what progress they've made against their promises, against their KPIs, how to talk about those um, what some of the factors are in the business. And that's that process is is very collaborative. Sometimes companies can plan for those, you know, four to six weeks ahead of those key moments so that they can really think through how do I tell the story? What materials do I need to put together with it? And they might be preparing for an analyst presentation. We've spent the last two years really doing analyst pre- presentations on Zoom, which um, people have got very used to to doing now. But as we start to go back to face-to-face meetings, we're seeing companies really embracing the idea of going back to presentations where you're in a room with people and, you know, you can have a cup of coffee afterwards. So if you're a new IPO and this is your first year and suddenly you go from you've been doing nothing but Zoom while you've been doing your IPO and then suddenly you go to your first face-to-face meeting with analysts that is quite a big thing to prepare for where are you going to do it what materials will you need who will be saying which part of the presentation how will you take Q&A all of that stuff that's where we and the brokers would work with the company to prepare thoroughly for that. So that's the sort of spine of the year, as I said, the the, the skeleton of the year, those key f- sort of financial moments. And then there are obviously other things that are unscheduled or that are corporate news flow. And many of them will have no impact whatsoever. Um, they're not in any way market moving. And therefore, they can be nice opportunities for the company to consider doing some PR, doing some media, but they're not necessarily Uh, regulatory news announcements. And then almost everybody at some point has an unexpected announcement that they're obliged to make a regulatory announcement that will be something they don't want to announce or that's difficult or that needs a sort of very quick emergency turnaround to consider how to handle those. As I said, those happen in the life of, of most companies at one point or another. And that's where we and the brokers together would work with the company to help them think through what they need to say. So, Sarah, just to finish with one final question, a very general question around um, perhaps any final tips for for companies considering IPO, just around the most common mistakes that that, that perhaps companies make or aspects of the PR or comms that they've they've underestimated, perhaps they're underprepared, how time consuming it is. I guess it's a very general question, just whether you had any kind of general tips around that. I think it's really, really important. You said it. The time involved, the commitment involved is huge. The entire management team will in some way or other be involved in 
getting this IPO away, whether, you know, working with tax, working with legal advisors, working on the core equity story or telling the story to media. It is a major lift. And I think frequently people don't re- simply don't realise how much time it's going to take and how exhausting it is. There are many excellent project managers, IPO project managers, and I'd definitely advise companies to consider appointing one of those just to try and keep track of all the different work streams that go on. I think the other thing that's really important is that the onus is on you as a company to explain and tell the story. And you have to do a lot more of it than you can possibly believe when you start off. You have got to keep telling the story. It's got to be a good story. And then you have got to keep telling it. You have to be willing to explain yourself. Equally, you have to be willing to accept to a degree that not everybody is instantly going to agree with you, that people are able to have a slightly different view of the world than you have, that they're not as expert as you on your sector or on your business, and that it will take them some time to build that understanding. And so the onus is very definitely on the company and its advisors to to make that effort and really tell the story and listen to the questions, listen to the objections people have, and try as best as they can to answer them and try to convey that excitement that is so clear to the leadership of the business. Take that and try to convey it externally. Thanks, Sarah. That's really interesting. And certainly I've learned a lot today. So thank you very much for your time. Really interesting discussion. And there's clearly a significant amount for companies to consider from a communications perspective. But hopefully your time today has given them a decent insight into what they need to be prepared for. Thanks very much for having me, Adam. If any of our listeners would like to discuss anything they've heard today, then please do get in touch with me uh, and I'm sure Sarah will be happy to chat further as well. We will be hosting our next virtual IPO conference at the end of April. So if you'd like to receive an invite for this event, please email Nancy Harrison at nancy.harrison at Thank you very much everyone for listening and hope you can join us next time. Thank you.